Ooh, geez. Hey, there we go. Let's party, everyone. Hi, my name is Luke Thomas. It is the 29th. They do one of these every four years, huh? The 29th of February, 2024. This is episode, I think, 193 of my live chat. So glad you're here. Boy, there is so much to talk about today. There is Ilya Teporia, which I know some folks don't want to talk about and are mad at me that I'm talking about about it a lot. I want them to know I'm going to keep talking about it because I love the topic so much. But there's more to get to than just that. Of course, UFC 300, there are some news related to that. Uh, let's see. We have some Handy Garcia shenanigans. I mean, what has happened with Ryan Garcia on social media? Jesus Christ. There's a lot to get to there. Plus, Canelo, is he going to zone? Is he not? Is he ducking? Is he not? Buddy, there's a lot going on here on this old live chat. So thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, standard disclaimer, we go for about an hour on uh, questions that are a thread that I put up the day in advance. You guys fill it up. And then if you would like to, you can put a donation, a uh, super chat or something like that. And if you want, we'll get to some of those paid portions at the end of the free hour. Also, it should be noted, look at the little banner below. See that? For folks who are listening on the audio podcast, it's youtube.com slash Thomas slash join. We have doubled our membership. Memberships are popping off. I am uploading nearly daily, I don't want to call them vlogs, but takes on various subjects. Uh, those are exclusive to members. I put up one, I think, every day for the last three days, and then one before that, a couple days before that. So they're on and popping, guys. The, the membership channel is in full swing be a member. And if you become a member, you can, of course, participate in this live chat without having to pay anything additional. It just comes perks with the whole joint. Yeah? So there you go. Uh, thank you for joining me. Glad you're here. We got a lot to get to. So let's get this party started, shall we? Uh, one last note, if I may. Obviously, the uh, memberships here are great on YouTube, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas slash join, but uh, Facebook as well. I have enabled, if you're watching this on Facebook and some people are, uh, you can actually send stars if you want to support the efforts of what I'm doing here. Again, if you want to take it all in for free, you can do that too. I'm just glad you're here. But if you're feeling generous, if you want to support the creators who bring you the things that you enjoy, there's an opportunity to give back as well. All right. All right. Let me get a sip of my uh, fruit punch here. Very, very good. I'm getting a haircut soon, which I'm very excited about. And by the way, if you're wondering like what these vlogs look like, not all of them, but three of the four thus far have been uh, me driving around DC. You get to see a little part. I'm gonna I'm gonna start going to DC landmarks and then doing these outside of them um, or places in DC that are semi interesting to see, and then giving takes not just about them. I'm not gonna do like a tour guide, but I'm saying give you some interesting scenery to look at while I'm doing some of this stuff. All right. So become a member today. They are on and popping. All right? All right. Very good. Let me make sure everything is okay. Let's see if Othello has texted me any uh, any issues. No. It seems to be all right. All right. With that in mind, let's get these questions going. Let's going to refresh the page. And we shall begin. Oops. Oh, let me add this. There it is. Okay. Very good. Boy, look at Taporia's suit. It's a nice suit. I'll tell you what. It's a nice suit. Uh, okay, first question. When is MK back? All right, it's a good question because you might be asking, hey, Luke, didn't you guys say you're going to be back in March? Isn't tomorrow March? Yes. Tomorrow is March 1st, right? Yes, tomorrow is March 1st. Um, notably, we did not say we were going to be back on March 1st, and we did not give a date specifically for a reason because we're, we we needed to give ourselves latitude to get the deal done um, and, and, and the relaunch done with the appropriate 
timing so that everything could work exactly as it has it intended. I do not have um, a, a date for you today to circle on your calendar. March is absolutely when we're going to get going again. Um, let me just say something. I can't reveal a whole lot. What I can say is I've continued to see what people are suggesting that we're going to do and not one person has gotten it correct. What we are attempting is something that, at least in the combat sports space, uh, no one else has done yet. So that's not easy to do. That is a difficult thing to do, and um, it takes time to do it correctly. So I understand that there is frustration. We feel it. I understand there are concerns. We understand that we, we feel some of those too. Uh, we, I know that people are confused, perhaps. Is it going to come back? Yes, it's coming back. Yes, it's going to be in March, sooner rather than later. And understand that these things just, they take time. They take time. I wish, I wish there was a way to do this more rapidly, efficiently, snap a couple fingers, and we're off and running. It just does not work that way in the real world. Um, I don't know what else to say. So it's full steam ahead. We are excited about where we're going, but it's not easy what we're attempting. Uh, and so for that reason, it just is going to take a little bit of time uh, to, to uh, finish the job. So, um, thank you for your patience. Thank you for your concerns. Thank you for your understanding. Thank you for everything that you have ever given to MK. We don't take a bit of it for granted. We want to make sure that when we relaunch, we relaunch in a way that we are happy with that matters, that has the oomph that is the done the right way. That's all we're trying to do. Takes time. That's it. But thank you for asking. person asks i mean just make it a real madrid special hour to get it out of your system a little luke yeah i i, I know that people are kind of sick of the Ilya Teporia topic i gotta tell you i don't give a fuck at all but more to the point i don't necessarily expect people to be as interested in in the ways that i am interested in it people might be interested in as um uh, strictly on mma terms and even then there's been an enormous amount of reluctance because he beat someone that was adored and so that has caused a lot of negative feelings. And then people thought, you know, I, I don't recommend making judgments about who people are and what their personality is like based on their ability to do improv comedy at pressers in their third or potentially even fourth language, but people do. So it can become a bit of a hill to climb to really come around on somebody as interesting or otherwise noteworthy. That's not the position that I'm in. Uh, I had a feeling he was pretty good a while ago, felt like he was going to win. He did. But more than that, guys... I had someone write me about an email about this. I haven't had a chance to reply to it yet, but um, I want to be clear. The level of rub that Ilya is getting, forget from the rest of Spanish society, meeting with the mayor of Madrid, meeting with the prime minister. I think I met with the prime minister. When was the last time you saw somebody win a UFC title and then meet with the prime minister? I mean, obviously, um, Habib has met with Vladimir Putin, and there's been, there's been you know, heads of state that have embraced fighters, it's not unheard of, but it, it doesn't happen very often. It is quite infrequent. That happened, but forget all that for just a second. Just the rub he's gotten from Real Madrid. I was on a Real Madrid podcast, and we, we were on there for nearly 70 or 80 minutes, and the vast majority of it was about Ilya. Like, these are people that would have never had me on, probably, never talked to me about it, nothing. They just wanted to talk to him, and someone wrote me an email, and they made a point, and it is 1,000% true 
What you need to wrap your head around is, for folks who may not understand this, and I know some of you do, many of you do, but for those who might be skeptical, the level of, of attention and blandishment that Toporia is receiving from Real Madrid is the kind of rub you literally can't buy. You can't buy that. There's no ad agency in New York who can get you exposure like that. There's there's nothing. There's no Super Bowl commercial that you can buy. There's no nothing that's on par with that. The social media attention, the in-person, just what it means for a cultural, like, titanically important thing to put their arm around him in the way that they have done. You can't get that anywhere else for money anyway. Not for money. You can't, that doesn't exist. This is one of those things where either you get you win the lottery and you get blessed with, or you don't. And he got it. It is going to rocket him to superstardom. If it, ha I mean, already it already has in Spain, and it's probably going to take a little longer here in the North American market. But if he keeps winning, I suspect it will it will happen here on some level as well. Uh, it's astonishing. So for me, there's an MMA component. Secondarily, there's a Spanish component. It, have you guys heard me talk about Spain on this live chat before? It's one of my favorite, if not my favorite country in the world to, to visit. In fact, it is my favorite country in the world to visit, which I've said before. Um, and then he's getting intertwined with my favorite European football team. And it also happens to be the one that is this like global icon in a way that no other sporting team anywhere in the world is. And people are like, stop talking about it. Why the fuck would I stop talking about it? It intersects with everything in my life. <laughs> basically that I care about except for my family or whatever, but like just professional interests or like just like, like totally personal. This is like everything I care about MMA, Spain, Real Madrid. I mean, I guess they get to, I mean, you know what I mean? There's a few more things you could, a few more levers you could pull. This is what I, this is what I like and care about. It's a, it's like one of the most, I never, ever, 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 ever thought it, uh, they would embrace a fighter like this and this easily, this rapidly. I mean, this guy is bursting down barriers in that country like the fucking Kool-Aid, man. Oh, yeah. Like, that's what he's doing. Just waltzing through walls and then giving kids Kool-Aid at the park. It's insane. As I drink some. So, I know for some of you, it has to be uh, too much. It has to be more than you care for. It has to be annoying. But just on MMA terms, you've got a guy who looks like he might be generationally special. Gilbert Burns telling me yesterday that the guy, Taporia, did half of his camp for Josh Emmett at Killcliffe. And in so doing it at Killcliffe, with the big gloves, not the four ounces, the big ones, knocked out three teammates of his. Also had like a wrestling match he tells about against some guy who is apparently very good and, and Taporia got the best of him. But just on that alone, just icing three of his uh, teammates with the big gloves. Born puncher, he can wrestle, black belt in jiu-jitsu, 27, getting a rub like this from a European country that, like, never has really embraced. I mean, I guess, I don't, I don't know if Ireland's really embraced Connor like that. He's always seemed to be a little bit more, like, half in, half out in terms of how the public feels about him. This guy is, I mean, this, this guy could run for fucking office and win at this point. It's absurd. It's absurd. So, to me, it's like a monster story in, you know, the weird contours of my life. Uh... And to say nothing else of the fact that the guy appears to be like an absolute hammer as a fighter. Oh, excuse me. Just on fight terms alone, it's pretty interesting. Yes. So I know it's been a lot. I know. More to come. All right.
Luke, I've seen you mention many times that one of the ways to make MMA more fair balanced is for all of the MMA promotions to have access to the, uh, I think you mean the, not the primer, the premier pay-per-view level talent, paraphrasing. Yeah, more or less. My question though, isn't it safe to say that a major part of why the pay-per-view stars are the stars they are is because not only are they extremely talented, but because of how the UFC has promoted them? Yes and no. While Connor, Patty, Izzy, and others have found large followings prior to entering the UFC, I do feel UFC propelled them to higher levels than, say, a Bellator PFL could, especially here in the States. Perhaps I'm misunderstanding you, but it seems as though you're advocating that, uh, wrong, wrong, your promotions should have access to the stars that the UFC has helped build into superstars based on the UFC's promotional power. Generally asking good faith. Yes, yeah, so no, it's a fine question to ask, but here is the basic idea. If you have to read what... Um, you have to read what the plaintiffs are alleging and the particular kinds of economic injury that they are claiming that they suffered. They're not claiming that they've suffered every version of every kind of economic injury. They're making a very specific claim. I would believe you, having watched what PFL was doing, I would believe you that the people who are in the PFL, are they as good at promoting fights as the UFC, even if they had equal rosters? Probably not, right? Even if you were to somehow split the roster 50-50 in quality, give them half, give them half. Who's going to look better promoting fights? I would imagine the UFC is just going to be better about that. So it's not to say that every promotion is on par. But what they are saying is, and these are the arguments that they have made with the testimony of, uh, of uh, economics and legal standing, or they, that's what they believe certainly, is that the UFC has bought up other forms of competition so as to be the only game in town. Uh, right, so they bought Pride and then just let it die. They didn't do their due diligence. Same kind of thing with Strike Force, ingrained, uh, ingrained, um, absorbed it, and then you know killed off the brand, um, which there could be other reasons for. But then you look at the, I mean, dude, this is the weird part about the UFC antitrust trial. the The paper trail on them is astounding. It'd be one thing if they did those things, but then you have in emails like, "We sure did this to make sure that no one else could sign." Like they put words in company documents that. You don't have to guess what their motivations were. They explicitly state it. It's it's remarkable to see something like that. They explicitly tell you what the story is. This is why we did it. Uh, and then the part was, of course, with onerous contracts that um, by being the only game in town and then by taking up all of their prime, and there's a few other ways in which they describe economic injury and wage suppression and what this all meant. Um, the, the idea that is, you know, you're saying the UFC were the ones that promoted them to this point. But the point I would make is there is something to be said for that. Certainly, they have done a good job as promotional entities, perhaps in ways that other ones would not. But, you know, if you watched UFC versus Pride when they were head to head, the Pride organization had a lot of problems, not least of which was Yakuza involvement. But but if you're asking who was better at promoting fights head to head when the rosters were relatively equivalent, it was Pride. Um, they had a different economic model and they had some issues going on, but their ability to promote it much better is should not be questioned they were significantly better in every way that you could imagine both in terms of um promotional entities like posters or fight trailers or uh in event experiences like they were actually better at them in any number of ways and it was not it was not hard to make that argument some of that has certainly changed over time you're asking um isn't it safe to say that a major part of why the pay-per-view stars are the stars is because they were extremely talented the point I would like to make is if you had the business now opened up and some of the talent was dispersed, you would see over time 
not a doubt in my mind, you would see other stars produced by other promotions naturally, in part because it is what some of what the what the promotional entity does, what kind of assets they create, do they shop them close to where they're from, do they have a local following, to what extent do they use their opportunities to create a local following or any number of other metrics, you know, taking taking Tank Davis to like these premier African-American destinations, Atlanta, Baltimore, D.C., things like that, really blowing him up with that crowd. Um, they, they, he was stealthily built in that way by PBC and Floyd and, everyone, and him by his own doing as well, but, but it was done um, with that in mind. And what I'm trying to say is while that's happening, you having DAZN or at least Eddie Hearn being able to build certain stars in his own way, people think that, like, did the UFC help blow them up? yes. But other people are capable of doing this when we don't allow for anti-competitive practices. That's the point. The point is, if you had an industry with even a modicum, a modicum of basic regulation, you would see other winners. You would see other winners. So it's not to say that they didn't play a role in these individual fighters' lives in the way you're describing, or that other promotions you have seen have been lackluster. All true. Uh, I think that people are overestimating what the secret sauce is that the UFC has and underestimating how easy it is to make it look like what they have is secret sauce when what they really have are anti-competitive practices, onerous contracts, buying up competition, any other, any other number of forms of economic injury. Right? Okay. Good question. What do you think of the matchup between Movsar Ivloev, I can never say his last name correctly, and Ilya Toporia? Oh, God, I didn't lock my door. Hang on one second. Hang on one second. You guys know the drill. Tux is going to come home, and it's going to be a shit show. Great question. Great question. Movsar and Ilya, what's going to happen? So it seems extremely unlikely to me that there's going to be any scenario where Mobsar is able to stand with Taporia for any amount of time that matters. I don't think he can make it 15 minutes. If it was just a sort of MMA striking on the feet kickboxing, but, you know, MMA striking is also a little bit of grappling um, or just d meaningfully different than kickboxing in a couple of ways. I, I don't, he just, he wouldn't make it. I don't think, I don't, and maybe, maybe you would feel differently, but I seriously doubt it. I mean, this is, I just don't think he'd make it. I don't think he'd make it. So the question is, what way does he have to win? I, most ways that he has to win is to be able to go the distance. Or, or, go the distance, excuse me, and then with wrestling, right? And top control and everything else. Okay, so a couple of problems for him. I think that he can give Ilya a tough fight. I do believe that. I do believe he could win a round or two off of him. I don't think that, you know, Ilya is just going to steamroll him. But there are a couple of problems that he's up against. One, dude, Ilya's right. He's talking about it promotionally, but I'm talking about it from a skills standpoint, he goes to a lot of decisions. If you go to a lot of decisions, you're probably fighting good fighters. That's true. But you probably also have some, you don't have finishing instincts or finishing ability is not necessarily one of your strong suits. I think that that is a fair assessment of him at this point. He does not necessarily seem to pursue it. He does not have the kind of, he's got the skills to win rounds and keep a pace on everybody, but not to put them away. Um, if it's a title fight, which it would be, you're really going to try and give Ilya Taporia 25 minutes and you have to survive that? Good luck. Good luck. That's the first thing I'd say. 
I, I don't like anybody's chances who is a decision machine, not because they're not very good fighters, but because that's a poor matchup for a guy who is a, uh, I think at this stage, a nightmare finisher, right? The second thing I would say is Movsar is probably a better wrestler, but he's unlikely to finish Ilya, and he's unlikely to get every takedown. In fact, I think Ilya's takedown defense is somewhat underrated. I know Bryce got him down. Um, and, um, others have it as well. And certain times you've been, you, you, what you're watching, you're like, wow, that's, that was a little bit easier than I thought it might be. Although in general, I think his takedown defense on tape looks quite good. What I would say is, first of all, he's very good off of his back. Um, he's very good jujitsu overall. I think he, people underestimate what kind of a threat he can be in any, any number of different scenarios on the ground. And again, if you're unlikely to put him away and you do have to stand with him and you can't really ground and pound your way to a finish. Just don't like his odds. Just don't like his odds. Not the kind of matchup that when I think about what could be bad for Ilya, I think it's that. I think Max, to me, is actually a much more interesting one. Now, Max after Justin Gaethje, I don't know. But to me, Max is a little bit more interesting because Max is going to punch with him somewhat to his own detriment. But if you went back and you watched my breakdown that I did on this channel, but other ones as well, you did notice that there are a lot of big swings, big motions that Taporia takes when he throws. He has slowly over time kind of tightened it up, but it's also just part of his style. And the in-between of when he throws and doesn't return or throws in steps with a shift, depending on what he's doing, he gets clipped almost every time he does that when someone actually tries to counteract that. It's something that you saw similar to what Rosenstrike was doing with Francis Ngannou when he was kind of bum-rushing him, but it has a similar kind of effect where guys are usually so much in retreat that even when they're landing, it doesn't necessarily land with all that much authority. Max ain't really going to be that much in retreat. Back foot, maybe. Not much of retreat. He might find some openings. Uh, I, I actually believe, I actually think that Max is the one, if he is in good condition after Justin. I'd still pick Ilya. I think he's the best in class at this point. But that one scares me a little bit more. I, the Movsar one, you just have to count on him controlling through wrestling for long enough where he, even though he won't get off much offense himself, Ilya also can't get off, and it's kind of like this boring grind out. I don't think he can do that. I don't. I just genuinely don't think you can survive that much terrifying moments when there's that much of a gap in his Taporia's favor in the, in the stand-up. And I also think one more time, 27 years old, Connor's best performance was at 28. Taporia's takedown defense is not done getting better. It will get better, and I think he's probably going to shut down Movsar um enough for when they fight we won't imagine that whatever advantage Movsar has is all, all that much in the end that's my, that's my hunch uh luke on a recent chat you admitted you had designed some game plans for fighters are there any names you can mention regarding this no absolutely not especially if they're all now retired or any of them retired I don't know, because some of them were, you know, very small-time fighters on regional circuits, so that wouldn't, you know, I don't know. I haven't really kept up. Um, to the extent they've been bigger than that, no, they're still around. What fighter, oh, what a great question. What fighter never reached the mainstream slash pay-per-view appeal you thought they would get? What a phenomenal, phenomenal question. Man, uh, Jake O'Brien, obviously he lost a lot, so that is a big part of it. But, you know, we there was a time there where we were like, Jake O'Brien might be that guy. So that's one. Um, 
Man. Let me think here. Jake O'Brien, Kevin Kevin Lee. I think I thought there was a uh, there was a while there where I was like, I don't know, man. Kevin Lee looks like it might be pretty good. That one didn't pan out, but um, it was an interesting one. Sean Sugar Sean O'Malley has been an interesting one because my understanding is that when he was like doing the contender series and stuff like right after that, the numbers for him digitally in terms of what he was pulling were extraordinary. My understanding is that is true. And he has now reached the rank. Uh, he, he's obviously become a champion. And so now you're like, we should have reached some sort of like critical, uh, like mass appeal point. And I don't feel like we're necessarily there. And I don't know exactly how close we are either. I mean, obviously he's headlining UFC 299. So there's some questions about that. But it's not like he hasn't certainly grown his audience or the scope of his relevance or, or anything. He, he has. I think... Based on where he started, I thought he'd be a little further along, which isn't to say he, again, the guy's a champion for crying out loud. Like, it's not like he didn't, but you know, like Ilya had this, like, and again, that's just Spain. That's not here. It's a tougher market here, maybe for even for, for Americans uh, as well. But, um, I don't think he's quite crossed over in the way that I thought he might. The other ones all kind of make sense. They don't really, Phil Davis's style has sort of caught up in a way that has really, muted his relevance but i remember a world where phil davis was you know a very visible and relevant figure and today it's just not that way at all um yeah those, those are some of the yeah yeah that's about it i mean most of the ones work themselves out more or less how you might believe them to be like steep probably could have been bigger and got big but kind of because he put the fight game at distance but you know that, that all checks out right like where however much popular he is it's sort of as a function of like what he wanted to make of that that seems to carry for most people. There's very few that I'm aware of cases where someone really wanted to be, to be a big star um, and then you failed for reasons you just didn't get, you know? Like, people want to do it and then they fail at it, but you can kind of sort of piece together what they are. Beyond some of the ones that I thought for a moment there had some real potential, they all kind of check out. All right, here we go. Why is there an upper limit to the heavyweight division? Um, they used to have super heavyweights. Icon Sport or Super Brawl used to have super heavyweights. Like some 300-pound monster versus some other 300-pound monster. Um, Mayhem Miller fought on a couple of those cards, but they're super freak show-y. Strikeforce had Bob Sapp. Remember? Old school Strikeforce fighting in... Right? Am I making that up? Didn't Bob Sapp fight for Strikeforce? I could have sworn that I saw that on whatever that was, HD net or whatever the hell back in the day. It was the one in like, like it was like Tacoma, Washington or something. Let me pull this up. Let me see here. Yeah. Bunch of K one stuff, K one stuff. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. Mixed martial arts. Yeah. Strike force at the dome. Yeah. Tacoma, Washington, Jan Norte. God, I forgot he fought Jan Norte. You guys seen this here? This donk right here. Yeah, I watched this one. I remember this. I was like a Friday or I think it was a Friday night, like a Thursday night, February 23rd, 2008, something like that. It was like a weekday night. And uh, I watched this one on whoever was airing it at the time. I can't even remember at this point. Um, okay. Anyway, it I, they're trying to limit and make people have you know, some basic constraints so that one, you're, you're, you look a little less freak showy and 
you know, it just looks better when you put limits on things. You can also limit any potential heavyweight disparities. When you have super heavyweight and stuff, then there's also kind of a, a, a or or a heavyweight division that goes on for like longer periods where it's much higher. And I realize in boxing that a lot of this just goes away, and then that's how you get like value ever or whatever. But in MMA, I just think it's a better look to keep some restrictions on this, and it tends to make sense. Oh, Tuki is starting to get a little tired. Here we go. Luke, as a Whitaker fan, he's my favorite fighter. I find myself somewhat perplexed by people overly high praise of his last performance. I admit it, it was impressive he survived the head kick in round one, but that was probably the best version of Costa we've seen. I agree with that. Uh, I still feel like the version of, or the most mature is the way I put it. I still feel like the version of Whitaker pre-Izzy KO and even pre-DDP KO would have won more decisively and wouldn't have absorbed as much damage as he did. Am I just being too hard on my favorite fighter or too dismissive of Costa's Im Im improvements? Remember, he said he had the flu. Did you guys see the submission radio interview? He had the flu. Still went out there and won with the flu. So the guy had a flu game against uh, Paulo Costa and won. I got to tell you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't sleep on that. I take that pretty seriously. That sounds, that's that's legit. But also, Costa did look good. Costa wasn't making as many reckless decisions. He wasn't barging in the way that we thought he would. He was still there to be hit, and he did. But um, I thought Whitaker looked, for the most part, pretty great. To your point, the resilience in round one, or the resiliency, excuse me, in round one, the most impressive part of that. Okay, fair enough. But, you know, there was more going on than just that. Um he is a little bit more hittable. I think the game has also caught up with him. He has kind of leveled off in terms of his improvement. Not to say he's poor. He's very good. But I don't think he's like getting better fight camp over fight camp in the way that you might imagine. Um, and so because he's kind of low, I think he's what is he, 33, something like that. He's kind of leveled off. And so the, some of the rest of the fight game are getting better around him. And that's going to make it more difficult to avoid damage as well. Um, but, you know, I thought he looked, all things, again, especially considering he had the fucking flu. Pretty good. Love this question. Here we go. This is good questions today. Jesus. All right. Oh, I think my wife just got home from a business trip, so there might be yelling in the back. Happy yelling, but yelling just the same. All right. Um, hi, Luke. Recently, Rafael Fazeev seemingly confirmed the rumors that the UFC is seriously looking to start a 165-pound division. If that's the case, do you think that the UFC's plan is to make Conor Chandler for the new 165 title? That's an interesting question. This gives Conor a legitimate chance to become a triple champ a lot easier than 170. You could also explain why they're being vague over which weight class they're fighting at. Yeah, I would love this. Whether they're doing it or not, I don't have any inside information. I absolutely love this idea. There is a video. If it's not on the channel, I, I, there's periodically I've taken some videos down and put some, some up for a bunch of different reasons. But if it's not up, I'll put it back up. There's a video I did uh, with my old producer, Mike. Uh, called him King of Banter, where we did a draft, picking people from 170 and 155, and then in the course of that, filling out a 165-pound roster. It is so easily doable. And, of course, you make 170, 175. So then it's just you know, 10-pound increments from 125 all the way up to 185. Um, I am a big, fa a big fan of this idea. I think it makes a lot more sense. Oh, you're going to make 155 and 175 weaker, probably but you're going to get another strong division and i think it would save a lot of careers it makes a lot doesn't really no one's ever really been able to make a great argument about going from 155 to 170 other than to say the more weight classes you have the more you might water down the product to an extent which is not an unfair claim but no one's really 
that that's just true generally. That's not a claim about why 165 doesn't work. Tell me why that one doesn't work. You're arguing in general, the more you add, the worse it gets. Fair. But what is it? Is there anything in particular about this division? Like, so for example, I can make a very credible argument about why we don't need a cruiserweight division, something between 205 and heavyweight. There's a lot of different ones, not least of which is the talent pool isn't there. Um, this would dramatically water down the sport. You would really, really limit light heavyweight, which is already kind of weak. You would, you would weaken two already weaker divisions. You, you know, th this isn't your, this is not, um, this is not in any way adding to your product, adding another division with, with by some diminishment of the other ones, which I think will be replenished over time anyway. Right. I think over time, 155 would replenish itself. 175, 165 would all 175 is still going to be in that little bubble part, but you get the idea. 165. These are going to be strong divisions. These are going to be strong divisions. No matter what, this is the way to go. I firmly believe it's a great idea. I hope that they do it. And you know, whether Connor should fight for it, the answer is probably not, but of course, what does that matter? doesn't matter at all. Um, Oh yeah, could we explain why they're being vague over the weight class? I don't, I don't really understand what the UFC is doing with Connor. I don't quite get why they can't get things going, but whatever. Mm. Let me do this. Yeah, let me get to this one. Uh, thoughts on Aaron Bushnell? May he rest in power. This is the gentleman you might recall here at the. Uh, in front of the Israeli embassy, I'm not even sure where that is, in front of the Israeli embassy, uh, setting himself on fire. And then uh, the, he was the 25-year-old uh, air, airman, I believe, service member. And uh, he was active duty that was confirmed. Live streams himself, uh, self-immolating and uh, in favor of, of uh, Palestinian causes. Um, I, I don't have... I'll just say this. I saw a lot of people... Um, trying to make this an argument about mental health and it's just mostly bullshit it's not entirely bullshit but it's mostly bullshit for a few reasons one most of the people who want to make the argument about mental health are people that are not sympathetic to bushnell's political causes that's the first thing i'd say um the second thing i'd say is those same people um also prescribe any number of different policy prescriptions to in their world make the world better that in no way tackle myriad other ways in which mental health um, is relevant it's hard for me to believe that in all of these other cases where there are screaming mental health needs and there's nothing being done that all of a sudden somebody does this extreme political uh, protest act and which is against the views that they typically hold. And they, all of a sudden these are concerns about mental health. I don't think questioning whether or not he was mentally ill is uh, irrelevant at the outset. However, uh, and I don't understand, I mean, you know, trying to stay alive and the, the wealth to be alive is such an innate governing instinct that it's, you know, it's really, it's hard to wrap your head around the idea of not being insane or not being ill and then doing those things. But I mean, let me just explain to you the difference here very quickly, if I may. You guys all know the story, at least on its basic terms. My mom took her own life 21 years ago, almost at this point. She also wrote a goodbye letter. Okay. And in that goodbye letter, 
you can just tell this is a person who doesn't have a grip on reality. Not a full one, certainly. There are any number of ways to detect mental illness through that very easily. Like, you don't need a PhD for that. I'm sure a PhD could find even other layers that I didn't see, but the basic contours you and I could have gotten. I, I Trust me, just take my word for it. Okay, I'm not in any way lying or exaggerating. You could tell. I've seen the things that this guy wrote in other places as, as late as 2023, and nothing about that screams mental illness. None. Zero. I don't understand personally, uh, you know, that kind of commitment to a cause that I can relate in that way. I just want to be clear. As someone who's been a victim of suicide and has seen what people are like in the latter stages before they take their own life, there is nothing that I... Not to say it doesn't exist, but there's nothing that's been revealed to the public um, that I've been able to review that even hints at that. Other than, you, yes, he does this incredible act itself. But, I mean, other forms of corroborating evidence aren't really there. The last thing I'd say about this is people don't understand protesting. It is true that in the modern... I live in a town where everyone's protesting. And I know the numbers are dropping, so I'm going to move on here very quickly. But I just want to say this very quickly. Big protests happen more now than they ever have because it is much easier to organize. Back in the 50s and 60s, when you saw big rallies that, you know, now all the ones here are bigger now. But when you saw big protests in the 50s and 60s, what you got there are these organizations that were kind of at causes around these organizations that were built first. And then the protest ends up being the result that comes out of years of organizing, years out of infrastructure building. Whereas now you can just get people to show up on a Facebook page. Partly, I think what he was doing is to avoid the easy dismissiveness of that because people are like, do protests even work? Most of those street pet protests don't. But what he is, or what he had done, I think was one to stand out from that. And then two, more to the point, like people are like, why are these guys, these climate protesters sitting in the road? They're just enraging passengers. Guys, they're not trying to make the passengers happy. Um, they are trying to go to extreme methods to, in their mind, bring awareness to extreme causes. And you don't have to agree necessarily, but the very point of protesting is to not be pleasant. I'm not saying violent, but to be a, it has to stick out in a way that has to resonate either with your attention span or lead to policy change or social forms of interconnectedness in terms of group advocacy or whatever. That's the point. So they were like, oh, well, I'm never going to agree with these climate protesters because they made me late to work. Believe me, I don't want to get stuck behind that shit either. But they're not doing it for that. That's not the, that has nothing to do with the point. So when I think about what this guy does, people are like, oh, well, he's not going to push policy change. Um, I, I tend to think that what he's also doing is kind of holding up a mirror to show the rot of the policies that are in place that led him to that spot. But I'm trying to make a point here. He is trying to stand out as a beacon about what we have done, what it says about us, and... Um, what might lie ahead, and he gave his life to for those political ends. Um, maybe there are examples of what he has in terms of mental illness. I have not seen anything that even remotely suggests as much. All right, there you go. Okay, here we go. The amazing Francis AJ promo had me thinking, how much does it bother Dana and co that Connor became bigger than the UFC itself? Do you think the UFC has backed off its promotion of individual fighters 
so that they never create another Connor. Boy, I mean, they've kind of got one on their hands. I mean, Taporia's not there yet, but he's got some potential. Um, with paper, they're, they're very much still in the promotional business. Very, very much so. They still very much promote not just events. They still have all different forms of content to promote fighters. The UFC still has a significant promotional muscle and infrastructure built out in all kinds of different ways. And I think that that will stay that way for as long as they're in business. What I think it's not a question of do they not want a Connor anymore. Some of those forces are beyond their control. The issue is this. Pay-per-view, while still very important for what they do, very, very important for what they do, does not retain the importance that it once did. Um, John Nash has talked about this, the lumpiness of their business model, right? Where it has these peaks and then these troughs and then these big pay-per-view sales and then nothing else really sells. And then a big pay-per-view sells. And then, you know, there's a little bit of money here and there and like merchandise, a little bit of money in broadcast rights. But it's these big pay-per-views that sell. And in those cases, you really do need an array of dynamic stars in which to sell to make the best use of that medium. They still need people who can sell pay-per-views, but the way in which they've changed how they've generated re revenue, most importantly, contractual revenue, guaranteed overseas rights fees, they have taken the lumpiness out of their uh, business. It's much more even-keeled, straightforward. And as you guys saw, they just released it. What was it? Pardon me. What was it for the last one? Um, $1.3 billion for the year? They had generated 1.3 billion, and that's that's up significantly from the last year. But they have taken the lumpiness out of it. That's the idea, and so I don't think that they're purposely trying to diminish these guys. That doesn't sound that doesn't seem like the best way to describe it, but rather the extreme lengths, relatively speaking, that they might have gone to previously to really make someone stand out. They don't have the same incentive to do that because the collective whole of what they are selling can be mined for money in a way that they didn't used to be able to mine it. Um, so they're still promoting guys. Like, but you know, what would they need to do to do a world tour? You know, like Dana's not talking about promoting a fight like with like a world tour. He's promoting one of his events at the sphere. See the difference? Right, it's not the same. Like how they make money and what this all is about and what they are kind of interested in, it's just kind of shifted. Now they're going to promote those fights. There's going to be a press conference. There's going to be media day, you know, any number of like countdown shows and other kinds of assets and all, all different kinds of stuff they're going to do. All that counts, but they are trying to get rid of the lumpiness of their business, and I think they've got pretty far at that. By the way, um, yeah. Uh, someone's asking, I saw your chat on the PFL versus Bellator card, was wondering if you knew ahead of time that those title fights would be three rounds. I was kind of, I never really thought about it, and then I was like, let me just go see how long these fights are going to be. Because if you're going to have a bunch of title fights, like, they're all going to be five rounds. you got like seven fights at the time, seven fights on the card. And then I looked, and they were all, all 15 minutes, and I was like, oh, right, that makes sense. That's how you can do seven fights, or, you know, it was six, but seven fights on the main card. Um, yeah, so I just double-checked. It didn't sound right. It didn't sound right. Uh, here we go. Why have you become an Ilya fan page? Because I have eyes. I have eyes. How the fuck can you watch what he did and like be like, oh yeah, that's cool, and not have anything more to say about it? It's like shocking to me. 
I saw this too, and I actually put up like a. I did a, one of my vlogs today about it. People like being, oh, uh, Volk's making excuses. It's like, let me see if I get this right. I know he promised a lot to you know, how much better he was going to be this time, but like every fighter says crazy shit like that before a fight. Sometimes it's true, a lot of times it's not. I don't really take what they say ahead of a fight all that seriously. I take what they say after a fight much more seriously. That could be bullshit too, but it usually is not as much. He has this terrible KO, comes back a little bit later than he thought was he were going to, but probably not all that advisably. He looks like he is fighting, as he described it, to not get hit. And then he comes out and says he doesn't feel like himself. There was part of himself where he did feel like he was, you know, hyping himself up and it was going well and it, all the same messaging and there was part of himself that was still hesitant. He describes this to you, this thing that we've heard many other fighters say over the course of time. And then people have the temerity to say he's making excuses. It's like, no, you oversold what was possible to begin with, giving yourself a totally false impression. He comes back around to tell you exactly how he's feeling and now he's making excuses. Or, or, or maybe people have decided um, for bad reasons, both before, during, and after, uh, the wrong ways to look at him, and that has colored their perspective in a way that now makes them unsympathetic to him reciting basic facts about his existence. Maybe, maybe that's actually what has happened here. I tend to think that's what happened here. I don't, I mean, this idea that he's making, I understand what he's saying, like, oh, if I had felt more like myself, I would have won. I don't know if that's true. Maybe he would, I don't think so, but fine. Maybe it's a different fight, but I just want to be clear. This idea that, like, him describing a very normal thing that we've heard other fighters describe in similar circumstances as excuse making when it completely checks out based on historical precedent rubs me the wrong way a little bit. But the point I'm trying to make is as well with Taporia. I think people are a little bit in denial about him, huh? Oh, we're not in denial anymore about it. Look, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure I believe that. Um, he's fucking awesome. How the fuck do we go? How, how the fuck can you watch what he did and be like, that wasn't awesome as shit. And like, not want to like explore that even more. 27. He's the, what is he? The youngest male champion that we have. Right. I think something like that. Right. That's not interesting. No, seems pretty fucking interesting to me. Oh, no, I guess O'Malley's the youngest one. So second youngest. Right. Or maybe O'Malley's even older. I don't even know. How old is O'Malley? Let's see. Sean O'Malley is... Oops, Jesus Christ. Here we go. He is... God, born in 94. 29. No, it's four years younger. People being like, oh, I, I don't want to talk about this. Dude, How? I mean, th you're asking how excited was I when St. Pierre was coming up. About like this. Not like this. Have I ever rewatched an old episode of my work? I found the very first MMA beat with me, Mike Giappetta, and Ariel. Uh, I don't go back and watch shit like that. I might go back and review something relatively recent, but no, not in that way. Okay, here we go. Uh, Luke, it seems to me that one of the most difficult things within MMA analysis is determining the career trajectory of a prospect. Is there any? Are there, are there any prospects that come to mind that diverge from your own expectation? Oh yeah, the ones I already listed. Whether they fell drastically short of your expectations or exceeded them. I'm trying to think of anyone that massively exceeded them. Um, I don't know about exceeded, but yeah, for Ke certainly Kevin Lee, I thought it would go much differently. I mean, to an extent, Tony Ferguson did. 
Remember, I did the stuff. I did the weekly vlogs with, or the weekly blogs with him on um, the Ultimate Fighter, and he was good back then. But I didn't know he was going to turn into Tony. And remember, he came out of there and he beat like my, the Mike Del Rios of the world, and then lost to Michael Johnson. I was like, oh, all right, well, he's going to be good. But you know, he's just been you know one of those guys. No, 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 no. He was much more than that. So that was surprising. Dude, I remember when RDA got flatlined by Jeremy Stevens. I didn't know RDA was going to turn out to be RDA. It happens all the time. So I've just kind of learned a little bit. you got to judge. Everyone's going to be a little bit different. People are going to peak at different times. They're going to they're fall off at different times. And there's a lot of competing or very you know diverse reasons what can bring a fighter to those various points. And you really have to begin to get – it takes time. And again, I'm going to get it wrong you know, probably as much as the next guy. But – to the extent you get it right is when you can begin to realize, oh, let's see, he's young enough. He's got enough of these sort of foundational skills. Fight to fight, we're seeing this kind of improvement. You can begin to see them turn corners in ways on the on the cal. A lot of times, people end up being as good, but not necessarily on the same calendar. You might Im imagine. So it's one thing to do it at all, and it's another one to do it as prescribed or what you would imagine would on the time scale. Taporia is interesting, not just because he got as good as he did, because he but he did it on the time scale. Like he got he beat. Arguably, people were saying before the fight, either the best featherweight or the second best, and he just iced him inside two rounds. I mean, it's like that's right on time and then some. And now he's 27, 28. Like he's headed for what I think are probably going to be his best wins that are in front of him. Um, one of the questions that they asked me on the podcast was like, you know, tell me about his record. Dude, Taboria's record is good. It's really good. I mean, pre-Volk. Pre it's really good, but it's not... It's not like, oh my God, you know, it's not, St. Pierre had a better record before he eventually got the title, for example. I don't think they're quite the same, but based on the timing and how the division kind of shakes out, and if he is who I think he is, I think he's got some big wins in front of him. And it's like, how do you not find that exciting? Guys, the most exciting time in a fighter's career, I mean, yes, the big fights are really exciting. Connor versus be big fight, super exciting. But for me... The most exciting time is when you're watching a guy burn through the ranks on their way to the title. That, to me, is absolutely fucking thrilling. When John Jones did it, when George St. Pierre did it, when Ilya Taporia did it, when Habib did it, when Connor did it. These are the, like, the times when they're becoming legends right in front of you, and then they can add to it depending on how much longer they can win. But Volks was kind of quiet. Volks was kind of quiet. Volks was kind of quiet when he was quietly beating Jose. The Mendez won, got a little bit more attention, but there wasn't big fanfare when he beat um, Jose Aldo. So he had a really unusual one in that sense. And then he beats Max and it's controversial. Then he has to do it again and it's controversial. He didn't have this like dynamic ascendancy in the way that a lot of these guys do. Well, Ilya did. It's like, you know, oh, look, why are you talking about it so much? Why are you talking about it enough? Is what I would say. Um, let's see, let's see, let's see. <laughs> Look, are you at all worried that Ilya is ever going to give you up, possibly let you down, maybe even run around and desert you? Yeah, I don't know, Rick, uh, was it Rick Astley? Whatever the fucking guy's name is. Let's see. Um, it's, it's a decent question. Look, most media don't ask hard questions of the UFC and press days or fan events. That's true. Is there another major sport where journalists have a similar relationship with owners and managers? Uh, what will it take to change the relationship between MMA media and UFC? Well, guys, I don't know if you watch the news and all, but um, media in general is dying. In general. 
it's not all gonna die but it's a lot of it's gonna die big big portions of it huge gigantic portions that you don't think are gonna go are 100 gonna go and then several layers beyond that excuse me several layers beyond that so mma media i'm just gonna if you don't have your own way of generating revenue based off your own audience uh, sooner rather than later, it's curtains for you. Curtains, fucking absolute curtains. You are not going to make it in five five years. Your job will not exist, one hundred percent. No, not a doubt in my mind. Not even the slightest fucking doubt. So, um, first of all, there's just that. If you're asking the question about editorial coverage, boxing is pretty bad too. I wouldn't say boxing is as bad, but it's pretty fucking bad in terms of these kinds of. You know, it's a little bit more competing because there's more promoters. And so there's little clicks in different directions. But it's equally stupid or at least pretty close to the same kind of stupid. The press conferences are not as stupid because they don't make them. Because, hello, they're not. They're, the fans are not invited, obviously. Um, and uh, they're, they also get pretty bad. But, no, MMA is stand. I mean, I'm just trying to think, like, is the NBA like this? No. Is b- baseball like this? No. Is soccer like this? I don't think so. I don't. I mean, I can't say I know too much about that world, but I don't believe it that it is. No, it stands apart. It's like it's a clown show. The whole thing. Okay, I want to get to this one. Plus, he's a, a member. I was excited for Nganu joining the PFL until I heard Don Davis's interview with Helwani. Don Davis largely sounded like a businessman talking about the number of products the PFL had. Who gives a fuck? under their belt and how they were going to leverage that for TV deals, as opposed to a fight fan discussing the quality of their fighters on the roster he happens to be in charge of. On the other hand, despite Chatri and Dana's business practices and attitudes, they both seem like genuine fight fans, which leads to a more interesting product. It seemed like you were feeling the sentiment after PFL versus Bellator. Yeah, I mean, that's the basic idea. If you guys, I did a whole, I did a whole review of the event. I mean, that, that, that more or less encapsulates it. We're just talking about the guys who run the PFL, they strike me as bright, they strike me as hardworking, and they strike me as people who desperately want to make their product work. I don't judge their motivations or even really their um, business acumen, but what they have done is they have bled their business acumen DNA into the DNA of the brand itself, and it just feels like, and this is what I said, everything that the PFL does seems like it's designed for maximal financial transactionalization, if that's even a word. Everything is like, how do we monetize this? How do we create the product? How do we conceive of the product? Everything is sort of conceived as some kind of financial instrument that either nets the biggest profits or some kind of return to owners or venture capitalist funding or whoever that they have to give that back to. Everything feels that way. It does not feel like it has any kind of soul or identity or or personality. It just feels like slot machine, you know, it's total... Totally bereft of that in every way. I think that's because these guys, I'm not saying they're, they're not fight fans, but they don't strike me as lifelong fight fans. And that creates a certain kind of sensibility and expectation. And they just don't have that. And I think what they might say is, well, look at what we're doing. We're trying to lean into the product in a way that you know solves most of these business problems. But without government invent- intervention, they cannot solve that problem. They will go out... If there is no Ali Act or there is no change via the antitrust suit, mark my fucking words, write it down right now, 358 on 
they'll go out of business. Not not today, but this is when I said it, the timestamp. They're going to go out of business if there is no change in the industry via regulation or a court case, period. They're going to go out of business. Uh, not, not a doubt in my mind. They, there, is, there is no other outcome possible. It cannot be done. Um, and I know people think I like, I'm exaggerating when I say that. I sound like a broken record because I know it's not the first time you've heard it. It happens over and over and over and over again. Um, but what I would say is it is absolutely inevitable. And so you might be saying, well, you know, would changing their business model is still having some of these structural difficulties really mean a lot? I, I would just say it would go a lot further and it would mean a lot more if there was a certain kind of governing personality to what it means to be the PFL. But what it means to be the PFL is this octopus of competing and otherwise somewhat incoherent brands all kind of working their tentacles to like latch on to whatever kind of money is available and then bring it back. And they are just still can't seem to find enough to do it because that model won't also work. And in the process, everything feels mechanical. I, I would rather have some kind of, I think you can get further. Ultimately, you're still limited, but I think you can get further and it would be much more interesting, quite frankly, if there was a number two to the UFC that could show what you could do with less being more. Um, that doesn't seem to be them. I love this. I thought keeping Bellator separate was one of the biggest own goals PFL could make, but it turns out bringing them on to beat the shit out of their own roster was an even bigger one. Yeah. In a king for a day scenario, what is the event instead of the one that just occurred that I, LT, puts on that best services the PFL, including the card production elements and anything else in the structure of the business, i.e. rule set and PR. I mean, king for a day is hard to say exactly, but what I would first say is you kill off the Bellator brand immediately. The Bellator brand is dead. Say it out loud. The Bellator brand is dead. 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 Done. Finished. It had nothing at the end there, and it's even... Even less juice today. Nothing. There is nothing to that brand. It does nothing for you. Oh, they're going to go to Northern Ireland, right? And the end of this month or an end of March. Um, they could do that with almost any brand if they had the same kind of fighters and the same kind of scale of operations. It means nothing. The Bellator brand is completely dead. Kill it. Be done with it and move on. Number one. Number two, I think that... Um, some product diversification does make sense, um, but you can't do it both ways they've done it. You can't both divide geographically and have a different tiered system. I understand what it means to be divided geographically. Hey, it's PFL Europe. Hey, it's PFL South America, whatever, whatever the different structures might be. PFL Africa, PFL MENA. I understand that. I don't think I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't organize my product that way, but that coherently makes sense. But it's hard to understand what these geographic organizations are in competition with Bellator, in competition with the PFL uh, pay-per-view super fight, in competition now on top of that with the, with the tournaments. I would probably kill off most of the tournaments. I might do one, a C, uh, one uh, at any given time until it's completed. And if you want to do pay-per-view events, I wouldn't do PFL versus Bellator. I would do something more like pay-per-view all-stars. And on that, I would try and find the absolute biggest fucking names I possibly could, including names that were not necessarily MMA names. Um, 
I, I actually feel like that would do much better for them. I don't know if that actually sells on pay-per-view, depending on who's out there. But, and I wouldn't do boxing, but I would do potentially other forms of MMA or other forms of kickboxing with four-ounce gloves. Like, I mean, just taking a lot from what from what one has, but some kind of pay-per-view all-stars, like treating that like the all-star and then legitimately trying to find any pro wrestler you could sign. Something, something with an angle that makes it work, putting Jake Paul on that, coming to terms with whatever Nate Diaz wanted, whatever. Um, That's the first thing I would do. And I, I, I feel like taking a little bit of one, taking a little bit of Bellator, you know, trying to keep some PFL sensibility, again, keeping some of the tournaments under their rules, that's probably okay. That's probably going to be best case scenario, but it's more than just sort of structuring the product this way. It's also just about the people you hire and then the assets you want to produce. I would say that if you're going to do that, the money that they spend going to all these places and setting up all this infrastructure could be much better spent on some kind of studio operation that actually leaned into promotion in a heavy way, in a way that the UFC wasn't doing. That's what's missing. For example, people said over and over again, hey, the Fury versus Usyk trailer, and then this week, the AJ versus Francis trailer, they were over the top. And they were over the top. They're 100% over the top. They go on these giant, you know, um, um, they're Vikings and they're Cowboys and they're video games and they're punching each other into the atmosphere multiple times. And it's crazy and it's big and it's stupid and it's loud. Guys, why do you think they're doing that? Because so much of the fight game is so not toned down because it gets kind of crazy, but in terms of promotional efforts, everyone feels like they're just algorithmically following the last person. It set, it stands out because it's big budget and it's, you know, bang, slam, crash, boom. Yes, true. But also it stands out because someone is actually leaning into that world rather than just we're going to throw up the same kind of stuff we always throw up with the same kind of feel and the same kind of this. No one is trying to stand out in any way on the promotional side as having an identity and what it means and how we how we structure our product and and what kind of personality we build into these um, features. And to me, it's like people are looking the other way on the Saudi thing, the sports washing side, in part because yes, it's big budget, but also because finally someone is bringing a shot of adrenaline to this. Fuck, thank you, finally. Someone endosed a fucking, or someone put a dose of adrenaline into our neck. And all of a sudden you're like, yes, this may, this is so much more fun. That has been missing. And not everything has to be high octane, white knuckle, whatever. That's a choice that they made for those trailers. But this is what I mean. One, to me, pulling at Denver in the way that they did with a crowd there chanting for Rod Tang, chanting for Stamp, PFL probably couldn't do that anywhere with like with like homegrown stars that they have. What city could they go to and have people like rock it with them? You could pick Irish fighters and go to Ireland. They're gonna do that no matter who's there. I'm talking about like one went to Denver, fucking Denver of all places, and they still got they got that. Dude, there's something to be said for that. That's not easy to do. They have a certain look, they have a certain feel, and part of it's all bullshit. Oh, Bushido code, whatever. But there is a certain way that it makes that work, and it is a certain way about they look and feel differently than everybody else that matters so really it's about that i think the next promotion that decides that they're going to do less with more to an extent right not overcomplicate the formula simple formula about good fights good fighters blah 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 and then they're going to lean into i'm hiring basically their own internal studios they're going to spend you know hundreds of millions you don't have to spend that much on the studio but i'm just saying 
lean into that and then reshape how they do promotional content and how they conceive of themselves and something more along the lines of the curated way that KSW has done it and then really blow out the live experience. UFC has a very formulaic and but high level but formulaic live experience. Someone, dude, they're ripe for the taking. Someone could go in there and do what KSW is doing with these very curated, big-time feel events. Like, you the, the you get your money's worth in the audience. It looks, it looks grand. It looks like you haven't seen anything like that before. That's what folks want to see. Show me something I haven't seen or felt before. It's there. It's there. It's, it's quite doable. All right. With that in mind, the hour is up, basically. Let's lean into the other side of the equation here. Let me make sure everything looks good. Yeah, it does. Okay. Um, what you got on the paid side? All right, boys and girls, let's see what happens here. Okay. A bunch of new members. Let's go through these here. You have not you have not made the wrong call. Large room. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Blake, welcome, my friend. Jason, welcome, my friend. Uh, okay. Gaethje plus John Jones, fight IQ. All right. Izzy plus Gilbert Burns, BJJ. Okay. Max plus Emmett's power. Okay. Demian Maia versus McGregor striking. Who dominates your division longer? Probably Izzy. Because Gilbert, Gilbert Burns' BJJ is heavily tied to his good wrestling. Um, but Maia-McGregor is a good combo too. Yeah. Although Max... They're all pretty fucking good. Um... Yeah, I'd say, I'd say maybe Izzy or Max. My fiance and I are getting married later this year. Any tips or do's or don'ts to make sure our guests have a good time? Um, Jesus. Understand something. Your wedding is not about you. I know you think that. You shouldn't. It's not about you. Yes, you are allowed to have this moment with your partner when you get married and celebrate and be happy. Yes. Yes, but your wedding is about everybody else's good time. And I think as long as you understand that, you'll have a much easier time planning it. And people are like, oh, that's not the case. Right, your wedding sucked. Right. If you want a good wedding, one that people care about, that should be, I'm not saying it should be your mentality, that will be your mentality. That's just the way the incentive structures work when you plan it. Thank you, Super Samoan legal team. <laughs> uh, Dan, welcome, my friend. Here we go. What's your top five to six best fighters of all time? Not the greatest. Resume aside, who are the five to six best at fighting? Anderson, GSP. Um, Anderson, GSP, Demetrius. Probably Habib. John Jones. Something like that. Are you familiar with Islam Omarov? No. Is he like, I don't, I don't know enough about him. I apologize. I wish I knew more about up and coming guys, but I just don't have the time to lean into that. Thoughts on Herb Dean calling for action multiple times in last week's main event with, within the first three minutes of the fight. Um, I didn't love it, but I didn't think it ultimately changed the fight. That makes sense. It seemed a little hasty, but it seemed like the fight was kind of settling into a groove and he was trying to fight that. But Bob, welcome. Prince, welcome. All right, this person says, I'm 23 with sickle cell and my favorite athlete of all time is Justin Gaethje. Who's yours? 
Also, how do you become a member? Luke Thomas, excuse me, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas slash join. Um, Aaron, favorite athlete of all time? Jesus, I guess Bo Jackson or some shit. So, so something like that. Luke, love to see your Gilbert interview going viral. I made a TikTok about it and tagged you. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Yeah, it got picked up in a bunch of places. I couldn't believe it, but it did. Thank you. Carmelo. Welcome, Carmelo Anthony. You were great with the Denver Nuggets, even if your coach at the time didn't agree. Georgie says, you've mentioned how it's impossible to build muscle and burn fat at the same time. Not quite. My goal is to lose fat first and gain muscle. How would you plan a workout routine around that and being in the 500-ish calorie deficit? Well, the calorie deficit there is normal. If you're new to lifting, Dr. Mike Hizretel notes that you can do both at the same time or relatively new to lifting. It actually is possible to put on fat and burn muscle at the, or sorry, to put on muscle and burn fat at the same time. So there can be, or if you've been previously very obese, like there can be ways in which that can be true. Um, but what I would say is my goal is to lose fat first and gain muscle. Yeah, I think, dude, just, I, I you don't need a special program for that. You just need to get in a sufficient, not crazy, a sufficient amount of volume, stay within a caloric restriction, make sure you know what that is so that your numbers are right on that, and just work hard. If all this is still relatively new to you, you should be fine. You don't really have to get super specialized. The, the people always want to be like, what's the right formula? Formula matters. It matters greatly. But what really matters is effort and consistency. The magic of the weight room is on the other side of the work you refuse to, I'm not saying you, but proverbial, you refuse to do. It's just there. It's just the act of showing up that week you don't want to go. It's just the act of consistently doing the things that are, that seem remote and boring and are insanely valuable. Thank you, Funkmaster Jim 43. Here we go. Top three favorite stand-up comics and top three favorite specials. Patrice O'Neill, Bill Hicks, Doug Stanhope. Um, Patrice O'Neill's uh, Elephant in the Room is probably the right answer, but he did he recorded an audio album at the DC Improv before his death. That is fucking amazing. Uh, Bill Hicks. I forget the name of his specials at this point. Um, probably the one where he did. You know, well, how come we don't ever see like good news on the uh, good news about drugs? And the uh, sorry, we don't. We never see positive news about drugs in the news it's always like it's always really negative that the one where he does that bit and then deadbeat hero for um for uh, doug stanhope is the new mk going to exclusively broadcast in vr no uh that's not really what's on our mind but that's a funny question uh, a funny story or two about you and your fellow marines i.e pranks nights out at the bar are just being donks in the barracks unfortunately any of those stories probably involve some level of criminal, um, not me personally, but you know, these fucking guys are just, they do the dumbest shit. All the pranks that they would do would always be shit that was like borderline legal or just outright illegal. So I can't really, saw my fair, saw, saw a fair amount of hazing, saw a fair amount of hazing. Um, alas, nothing I can really share that, um, wouldn't make you lose respect for me. PSA for anyone who's an Android user. The Google Rewards app gives you money for uploading receipts or answering general shopping questions can be used towards super cues 
super super chats, whatever, or channel membership. There you go, boys and girls. Take a screenshot. There you have it. Very good. Will you be viewing the weak-ass, meek-ass fight night card this Saturday? Not live. Not live. Christopher, thank you so much. Joe here just keeps uh, being generous. In your breakdowns, you give your standard disclaimer each time. That being said, who are some of your favorite or more respected analysts that you also think do a very thorough job? Man, there's a bunch. Um, you know, Jack Slack is great. And I'm, I'm probably going to forget some here. So if I don't mention someone, it's not because I'm editorializingly keeping them out. I'm just trying to remember here. Jack Slack is great. Uh, Miguel Class over at Bloody Elbow has been um, phenomenal. There's a bunch of screen names on Twitter I can never remember. Um, open note grappling is really good. Conceptual grappling is really good. Um, uh, boxing gems is fucking boxing gems might be the best one on the fucking internet. I mean, you guys want just sick ass boxing analysis, boxing gems. They're just re fucking I can't. And dude, the love, the amount of content I can, I, I miss 90% of the shit they do. Cause I just can't keep up with how much, how prolific they are. It's ridiculous. It's almost like too much. I'm almost like slow down and charge more, but. Um, you know, uh, the guys from heavy hands, I listen to time to time. I enjoy their work as well. And just do we're, we're living in the golden age of this stuff. You know, it's kind of funny. I actually don't watch the other fighters at all. I know Henry does some stuff. I know some other guys do. Oh, that's not true. Cause I watch some Dan Hardy stuff on occasion, like Dan as well. Um, but I typically don't watch what the fighters do. I don't quite know what the answer to that is, but, um, anyway, there you go. Islam versus Shavkat. What do you think? I think Shavkat's too big, probably. Uh, Aaron, thank you so much. Greg, welcome back. Are you gifted one? There you go, boys and girls. All right. Uh, Cam, did you catch Tucker? Tucker Carlson on Lex Friedman. No. The praise he gave to MBZ? Um, said he's the greatest world leader compared to King Solomon. You mean MBS? Mohammed bin Salman? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know, guys. I don't... I'm not... I, I don't watch enough of Tucker Carlson's work to have an especially informed opinion. I think some of what he does can definitely be considered interesting. Um, I think a lot of it is not. I don't have a great degree of uh, interest one way or the other. Do you think Ilya still has his hammer of the month? They never delivered it to him. They never delivered it to him. He was a hammer of the month on MK. How about that? They, the the donks who we used to work with never sent it to him. Is it time for the UFC to stop announcing fights that aren't even scheduled, especially when contracts have not been signed? Context, the supposed rescheduled fight between Ricky and Raul. Right. How about this one? I spoke to somebody this week who is uh, was announced to be on the UFC 300 card. Their fight's not signed. Nope. And um, when I tried to follow up to see like what the certainty was that they were going to get a deal done, they weren't sure. So, right now, there is someone on that UFC 300, two people, well, at least two people, on that UFC 300 poster who definitely don't have a fight sign. 100% don't have it. I mean, what do, you, what do you want me to say at this point? You know what I mean? Like, what do, you, what do I even say at this shit? I don't, I don't even know what to say. I appreciate the donation. I kind of got to this one, so thank you, NYM. Um, but I've, I've kind of already circled this one. I don't really have to go back to it if, if I have to. Uh, do you think Strickland is now a top three star in the UFC? Connor's number one. T 
top five, I could believe. Top three seems a little generous, but not crazy. Possible, but definitely top five. I'll put it that way. Top five. I've never been to Spain, this person writes, and know nothing about Real Madrid, but I find your enthusiasm about Taporia contagious and am more invested as a result. Well, thank you, Rational, good sir, for understanding. People are like, why are you talking about this so much? And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm terribly sorry for liking things. <laughs> terribly. I feel horrible about all of this. All right. RM says, there has been some chatter of the, of the winner of Stipe Jones actually fighting Aspinall now. Do you see either of them beating Aspinall? Hard to say about beating. I will believe that shit when we see it and not a minute until then. Not a minute of that shit am I going to believe until we are fucking very far along down this path. Uh-uh. Miss me with that shit. Ant writes, PFL couldn't promote hand cream if the World Masturbation Championships were held in a lip... In a leper colony. UFC is the goat at PR, and you know who was the goat or the UFC PR goat. That's right. Diane. Diane. And I know we both agree with that. Diane was really the one. Yeah, dude. They're not. This is what I mean. People see alternatives, and they think that because these alternatives are not good at it, like the UFC's only game in town. UFC is good at it. They're very good at it. But um, PFL is just, like, uniquely not awesome at it. Uh, Captain V writes, at what point should the fans just rebel and not watch shitty cards? Buddy, that's a choice only you guys can make. I can't, I don't know what to say to people. Like, you know what the score is. You know what the score is. You know how good the card is. I don't know. What else you got going on in your life is really the question I would ask. Like, I have enough where I like, I have to like justify taking time away from family to watch. What argument could I possibly make about this week to tell my wife why I need to like, I need to editorially prioritize that. Johnston writes, not Marab being an A-tier level troll and telling a Mexican reporter at Fight Night 237, he went to a Mexican store and told them to make me look Mexican. Yeah, but dude, they love it. They've embraced that shit completely, and he has he has leaned into it, and it has worked beautifully. Just being himself. Luke, when the cherry blossoms go pink, one of your member episodes in front of them would be really cool. Yeah, easy. Easy to get to. It's just down by the tidal basin. I got married right by them. I got married outside the Jefferson Memorial, which is just, just on the other side of the water of where they are. User says, what do you think about Bisping and other fighters testifying in the antitrust case? I mean, it's not that people were like very surprised by it. I mean, I think it's worth sort of noting who's on the list and who isn't. But I mean, just ask yourself, uh, not to say, to be clear, Michael Bisping has worked incredibly hard, Daniel Cormier, you know, any of those fighters. Chandler's not on the level of um, of a Bisping or a DC yet. He hasn't won a title in the UFC, but you know, just in case of like DC and Bisping, these are guys who greatly benefited from the existing system and have done exceedingly well for themselves. Again, through I mean, Mike has sacrificed an enormous amount to get where he's at. So I understand, or at least my view of it is, I don't think that they're bad people, but I think that they've got the wrong ideas. And but. I can understand why they would look at this and say, this has worked really well for me. Um, and it has, you know, it had in general, uh, it has. So that part to me is not, it's not crazy or something. It's just that I think that they have the wrong idea. Luke, we're, we're, we're not concerned. We're excited. Very good. Very good. Happy to hear that then about MK. Drew, welcome, my friend. 
looking at the current 185 rankings and how how would Prime, Silva, Rockhold, and Weidman hold up to the top five guys? All right, let's look at the rankings. For 185. So let me take this question off so everyone can see. Right? So you've got Sean Strickland. I think he'd be tough. Uh, Izzy, Robert, Cannoneer, and Vittoria. I'll see Drickus above that. Um, those guys are going to be tough in any era. Doesn't matter really who else is there. Those guys are going to be tough in every era. So, Weidman might do well because of his wrestling in his prime. I think Rockhold um, used to be a little more fleet of foot and a little bit more nimble with his jiu-jitsu. Silva, um, I think, you know, would obviously, I think his skill set's going to translate across, but... I think it'd be more competitive in either direction than folks realize or think, perhaps. Thoughts on bare knuckle MMA being mounted and punched under the rule set seems devastating. I don't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other, but I kind of admire it a little bit. Um, it's sort of what jujitsu was kind of supposed to be to an sort of sort of to an extent. Um, and so, getting back to it, if you're going to have bare knuckle boxing, well, there's no reason why not to have bare knuckle MMA. I don't know that I love it or that I'm going to be a big consumer of it, but I sort of get it and I don't think it's inherently awful, but we do need to see exactly how bad the cuts are and something like that. And like what kind of changes to the rules might need to be implemented as a result. Uh, look, I often miss actual live aspect of the chat. So I want to donate when I had the chance. Thank you, Jack. I appreciate it. Thanks for all the content. Good luck with them. Okay. Thank you, bro. I appreciate you very much. Did you catch BC lotioning his huevos on the BC live chat? No, I had to miss that on purpose. Uh, Tori asks, is Jamal Hill's shifty chest hat the worst of any champ ever? It's not great. Um, you know, I know he's having a bit of a, well, he just got picked for the main event for UFC 300. So I was going to say he was having a bit of a rough time. That's not true. But, um, you know, he tends to battle with people on social media a little unnecessarily, but, uh, yeah, it's not great. But, you know, I said it before, dude, like anybody that's got tattoos has as you got a bunch of them. Like I've got, I've got many of them. You got some good ones. You got some bad ones. Um, let he who's without sin cast the first stone. These mother trucking fans want Zeus versus Hades at UFC 300. You know, can you, uh, can you understand that? I can understand that. All right. Poll question. Will you watch the UFC apex fights this weekend? That's what I asked all of you. Yes. 45%. No. 36. Haven't decided 18% out of 700 votes or so. Boy, the majority of you guys are gluttons for fucking punishment, man. Dylan, welcome to the fold, friend. Here we go. The term title elimination fight gets thrown around a lot, but the winner often doesn't get the next title shot. If the point is to eliminate the loser from a title shot, isn't that obvious? Yes, it's because it's been kind of just abused in that way. You're right. It doesn't mean what it's often supposed to mean, but there is... Conceptually, you can understand a situation where this unresolved contendership can only happen when the, these two forces meet. It's just the matchmaker model gives them latitude to change that. One has the best strikers currently, in my opinion, but few known fighters. How can they use the next two years to become competitive in the West where the money is? Well, that's a little bit of a strong way to put it, but um, they're going to have to have a more consistent footprint here. They have to have more live shows here, matter of factly. Cody asks, Gear Nogi, both techniques did you use to help with remembering what you what techniques did you use to help with remembering what you learned? Uh, 
like mnemonic devices, just repetition. Take notes sometimes, have other techniques to help you in this way. I didn't take a lot of notes. I only took notes if I was ever injured or something like that. That's it. Most of it was just repetition. and. But that wasn't, again, I'm not, I didn't try to compete. I wasn't obsessed with being on the fight team. Your goals should be dictated, or I should say your methods should be dictated somewhat by your goals. If your goals are just to go in there and have a good time, then maybe you don't need to take all those hardcore notes. However, if getting good as quickly as possible is part of that, I would recommend taking notes. Thank you, Lola. Welcome. Uh, Greg asks, coming up on nearly a decade in the UFC, Ryan Hall is almost 40 and has only has six fights. Why do you reckon he's been one of the more underutilized 145ers on the roster? He has been extremely, extremely injured. So when I went to go interview Corey Sandhagen, I had to clear everything with Ryan first because it was actually at 50-50. And so Ryan was extremely gracious, and he was like, come back whenever you want, blah, blah, blah. But there was a moment there where Corey, uh, Corey was sparring with Carlos Vela, who just fought the guy who's inverting underneath, and Tan Lee. So it was, it, was, it was Corey in the gym, Corey, Tan Lee, Carlos Vela, and Ryan. Ryan peeled off to talk to me because I had to ask him where to set up and everything. And we were just talking about his injuries. That guy has been in a million surgeries. I mean, just a gazillion of them. And he is slow. He told me, like, this was when I, whatever, whenever the Sandhagen interview went out on Morning Combat, whatever day that was, go back and look. He had told me at that time he was finally starting to feel a little bit better. He was looking to maybe get out there. You know, I think he had said in the next, like, four to five months or something like that, which obviously didn't happen. But, um, yeah, I just think he's been, I don't think folks have understand, he's been super, 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 super banged up and it's really taken a long time for him to recover and there's been other issues like he told me in the Ilya Taporia fight he was like you know people were wondering why I was moving wrong he tore something in like either his knee or his groin and then also he tore the ligaments that hold your thumb to your hand and so and that ha he said that all happened in like oh, no sorry he tore this and then he they bumped heads or something like that there was some kind of devastating injury he suffered within like the first minute of that fight that really fucked him up, and he was sort of describing like how some how coin flippy sometimes fights can be when injuries happen in like the first minute. You know, it's just hard to know what's going to happen with a guy. Maybe Taporia wins that one no matter what, but the point being is like you definitely would not want that to happen to you. That's a very in it. That's a very unfortunate way to start an already difficult proposition. Luke, how long have you known Dave Meltzer? Long time, long time. I I, I met Dave. I don't know, 15 years ago or something? Something absurd. Long time. Dave's the man. Dave's the fucking man. Jason, what's up? I mean, I don't know if there's any... Listen, if there's a pro wrestling dork out there, and there's dorks in every world, but if there's a pro wrestling dork out there, it's like, Dave had this take, and I, I just waltzed into something that I don't know what's going on with whatever is going on in pro wrestling, then I don't know what to tell you. I'm just telling you, the, like, from my professional working relationship, he's been great. So, uh, you know, people get... Sometimes I'll be like, so-and-so's great. And everyone's like, oh my God, he did X, Y, and Z. I'm like, I had no fucking idea about any of that shit. I'm just telling you about the guy I knew. <laughs> okay? All right. Very good. Uh, Jason, welcome to the fold. Thank you. There you go. Henry, God forbid if MK didn't work out. Will you guys stop? Will you stop? <laughs> it's... Patience. 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 And you had an amazing opportunity to return to work for Vox or Sirius. Who would you choose? There is no world in which I return to Vox. I don't think they would want me, but there is. No, it's not. It's not. I'll, literally, if everything collapsed and I had to do something else with my life or go to Vox, I would go do something else with my life. 
not not a very difficult choice for me. Super, super, super easy. Caleb, what's up, bro? Emily, why has everyone gone quiet with the James Krause story? Because no one has any new information. That's why. Look at Greg, a mensch, gifting five new memberships. Thank you, Greg. Here we go. Eblin overrated or Impa underrated? Definitely going to say Impa underrated. I missed that one. I missed how much he had improved. I do think Eblin has some work to do with his striking a little bit, but I do believe he's got a couple of core things that are going to make him difficult to deal with. But Impa, I think, is very, very underrated as well. I missed that one. Least to most likely to win their belt back. Moreno, Valentina, Volk, Matt. Jesus, every fucking thing. Bobby the Reaper, Knuckles. Uh, most likely, I'll put Valentina, then Hill, then, depending on how things go, Izzy, then Strickland, then Charles, no, then Max, then Volk, no, yeah, th sorry, then Charles, then Volk, then then Max, then Volk, or you can you can interchange those two. Wouldn't matter at that point. Uh, this gentleman says, "Just wanted to say thanks for all that you do, and I'm a fan practitioner that happens to be gay. There we go, and I appreciate the content. And yes, the homoerotic jokes. FYI, Brian has no chance. <laughs> Blowing Ortega or Brent, he would give it the old college try. He would give it the old college try." Were you ever on the UG forum back in the day? Yes. What prominent figures did you interact with back then on the UG? I never really did. I don't think I ever, I was barely a user and I don't recall ever having a significant, I saw them, you'd see Rogan pop in, you'd see at the time, obviously he's had a fall from grace, but you know, Phil Baroni at the time and stuff like that. Even Dana would pop in time to time, uh, but I never had anything I recall significantly there happening there. Anil asks, uh, what do you think about the saturation of betting culture and sports gambling on MMA landscape? Don't care at all. The fights, the media, and the podcasts are now built around discussing and promoting gambling. So couldn't couldn't possibly give a fuck less. This talk has been around fight sports since the moment I started watching it from day fucking one. It is more now, and you're right, it has this sort of like omnipresent situation happening. That is true. That is 100% true. Um, and there might be arguments to make about how much you know betting culture should be a part of other sports. Betting and fist fighting go hand in hand from its earliest days. Part of the reason why athletic commissions exist was to make sure that illegal bets were not being made uh, in, in capacities that they could control. They're, they are 100% part of it. I have zero, nothing, not one moral hang up about sports betting culture in fight sports. In other ones, I feel like there can be a slightly different argument to be made. Not in fight sports. Not in boxing. Not in MMA. Don't care even a little bit. Nothing. Luke, hope you're doing well. I was just curious how the DC faithful regard the Wizards and their ownership. I mean, dude, the team's terrible. Dude, listen to this. If the, t the team plays the Lakers today, right? I think that's right. If they lose to the Lakers today... um. If they lose to the Lakers today, they'll have not won the entire month of February. Like, you know, dude, people are not going to have positive messaging about the ownership when that happens or the move that they want to make to Potomac Yards 
across the way in Virginia. Like it's not a great moment for the ownership in the city, whether they can resurrect the product or whatever else, I guess we will see. But, um, also because Dan Snyder's gone too. That's another part as well. Like Dan Snyder, Dan Snyder used to eat up all the negative attention. And now that he's gone, it's kind of, people are looking around, but dude, you've got a bad product on the court. Like that's just what's going to happen. What's up, Andrew? Thank you. I think I've seen Andrew on Twitter. What's up, bro? Thank you for becoming a member. I really appreciate it. Steven, what's up, bro? All right, this guy asks, my member question, what is the MMA community controversy you didn't understand why it was happening? Mine is Habib's opinion on ring girls. He is right. They are actually useless. Yeah, but it was sort of rooted in a kind of, I have to go back and read what he wrote, but it was, it wasn't exactly like technically wrong, but it felt like it was rooted in some other kind of feeling that he was like laundering his opinion through. Um, it's not that I didn't understand the Ian Gary thing. I want to be clear about that. I did understand big parts of it. There was a while there where he got overexposed and some kind of backlash was inevitable. The part that I was amazed at was how much people gave a shit about, first of all, they got all the details wrong about his marriage or many of them wrong anyway. I cannot believe how much any of you cared about his marriage. I don't wish poorly upon him. I want to be 100% clear. I'm to the extent that he is happy, great, good, any any person on earth, I wish you love and happiness. I mean that sincerely. But like, I don't give a fuck about his marriage. I got, <laughs> I mean, of all the ways to spend your attention dollars, you want to spend it on that word? Dude, you got to be of idle fucking brain power. Unless you know them on a personal level or something. For that to be that, it's just inherently not interesting. I, I mean, like, why do I don't give a fuck how he lives his life privately? And I'm, I'm not just saying that to like, I, I couldn't mean that more if I tried. Did you see there's a power couple with so-and-so? Don't give a fuck. <laughs> don't give a fuck at all. None. This guy's got an unusual way of dating. Don't care. I don't, I'm not interested in these people's lives to such an extent that that is on my radar. I'm interested in their professional talents and exceptions here or there and not much else. You know, did you, did you know who Ian Gary's fucking don't not know? No, I've actually never thought that I've never been in my bed at night being like, wow. Who is, who is, who is Ian Gary fucking like never, never done that. Never, never occurred to me to didn't know people wanted to do that. Didn't, you know, no, mm -mm. not a thing that has ever, 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 ever been interesting to me. And I was shocked that people like, like, not that there was some, I, I get that there's a salacious element to it, but like it's enduring power. <laughs> it's like, guys, inherently the stories, if you, if you actually look at the factual version of it, it's really not that interesting. It's kind of fucking boring. It's kind of fucking boring. It's kind of fucking boring. Also, really not my business, but some of that stuff was public. Um, it's kind of fucking boring. Yeah. Didn't get that one at all. Hot take. Ilya K.O.'s Islam. He's a better anti-wrestler than Volk. 
That remains to be seen. Much more durable, that's true. And has the touch of death, also true. Islam is not durable. That's somewhat overstated. Um, it's not a question of whether Ilya's power goes up a weight class. It does. It does. Um, the issue is that I, I wonder about the size disparity matched with the wrestling, I'm talking technical skills, strength of Makachev. That does, and he does have the ability to like finish people from there. Not like Mosar. He actually does. That, that to me changes the equation a little bit. A few 155 versus 70 at 165 you'd like to see. Um, Gilbert at 165. I don't know if he wants to even go there anymore. He's a little bit older, but somebody who's like a tweener in that sense. Um, I'm trying to think. Islam. I think Islam is a 165-er. Um, let's see who else. I'm looking here. Uh, I think Colby is a 165-er. Uh, I think... Let's see. You could do... You could do Dan Hooker even up there. That's a little big for him. Uh, you could do Fazeev, probably not. Honestly, Chandler is fucking huge. He can make 55, but he's a big-ass guy. He can make 165 there as well. Um, there's a few There's a few guys. I'm looking here. Bobby Green, Drew Dober, no. Jalen Turner is not really ready for that yet, but could be over time. Yeah, it's a little bit more on the 170 side, but you could do it for sure. Having my first child at 30 next month. Congratulations, baby girl. Even better. Terrifying. Yes, it is. Advice for a stoned MMA goblin. First fight I ever went to live was Hunt Silva 1. I've said this before, man. Uh, there is no... I mean, you can buy a book, and there's different books you can buy, and you should, and you should read them. I've said this before. If parenting feels hard, you're probably doing it right. It is very easy to put an iPad in front of your kid. It is very easy to not read to them before they go to bed. It is very easy to not double-check if they brush their teeth. It is very easy to not worry about whether they showered or have clean clothes. The kids don't give a fuck. They don't know. You know, you have to kind of beg them to shower. You have to beg them to go to bed on time. I don't have to beg my daughter to read to her, but, you know, it's part of the show. Like, all these things. They, they like It's very easy to skip all of these things. It's very easy to just take the easy way out. If it is tiring to go to the to the playground, if it is tiring to do all those things, there's a decent chance you're doing the right thing. Josh, first donation to any creator ever. Well, thank you, Josh. I appreciate that. Uh, the Marab of today fought a prime TJ Dillashaw. Prime TJ beats him. Prime TJ was an operator. Yeah, prime TJ beats him. Mm-hmm. Luke, whatever happened to the MMA league that Ariel said was being formed? They had a promo poster, but we haven't heard anything since. Yeah, right. That sounds about right. There's no money in the industry. <laughs> That's it. That's the story. Longtime fan, no question. Lucky enough to have a fiancé that is into MMA. Unlucky enough to have one that watches your show. Sorry about that. She came for the skits and bits and now stays for the beard in Spanish. Tone it down. Hey, she sounds like a winner. What can I do? Um, Romeo says, Romeo, let's not neglect the fact that Ilya is Georgian. He is definitely Georgian. He is, he is absolutely, he is Georgian. I want to be clear. I don't know a lot about Georgian culture to say whether someone is or not culturally Georgian. And I'm certainly no expert on Spain, but I got to tell you, there are times Ilya Taporia looks like the most Spanish man alive. I mean, culturally speaking, right? The way in which he talks and carries himself and everything else. He, he gives, I mean, he looks the part. I'll, I'll put it that way. 
Luke, would love a heavy hands collab for 300. Those guys are, I've been on their show once before when Patrick Wyman was on. They do great work. You know, I hate like, I don't like when they speak like forcing collabs, but you know, I, I, there's a lot of different people I would work with. You know, uh, I'd be happy to. What's up, Kevlar? Thank you. Um, Philosophu says you should do a whole interview with Ilya and Spanish. I'm not good enough for that, folks. Also, get a mid skin fade when you cut your hair. Next week. Next week, boys and girls. Next week. Aaron, welcome to the club. Thank you, buddy. I don't know what um, currency that is, but I appreciate it just the same. I asked a stats queue in the community chat about Ilya never throwing a body or head kick in his career and in a way having a more 10-8 over 9. Please check. Has five replies. Okay, Diraj, I will take a look. Thank you. Veloslav says, thanks for the content. I appreciate it. Fuck Transformers 1986. All right. We went over this. We went over this. Very good. Combat Sports Today says, how would Kyoji Horiguchi do against the current UFC flyweights? I don't think he'd be champion. Like, he couldn't beat at 135. He couldn't beat the Bellator best. I don't think he'd beat the very best. I think he'd be good, but not the very best. Look at this. Richard gifting five memberships. Look at this guy. Samoan legal team. Gaziev's, Gaziev was the underdog to Bude. Now he's the favorite against Jarzinho. Why? I think Jarzinho is old as shit and... I don't know. I guess because Gaziev can wrestle a little bit. That's it. Thank you for becoming a member, however you say your fucking name. Aaron says, what do you think about the cheetah being reintroduced to India? I have no fucking idea. Also, the BLM is abusing getting rid of wild Mustangs. I don't know what the fuck this question is asking me. I apologize. I Usually, if someone's going to leave a donation, I try to give them a good faith response. I don't know what the fuck you were asking. Message me later so I can answer that. Liam says, if you ever make it to Thailand, you will see one Muay Thai show or go to Raj Dobner. Yeah, I would love to. Mm -hmm. Also, can any of the Muay Thai champs become an MMA champ on the men's side? Highly unlikely. Highly unlikely. Possible, but unlikely. Just the time it takes to get good enough at the other dimensions. Um, they're going to be, what, late 20s before you even really start. It's possible, but the timing and the math just don't work. Justin, welcome to the club. Just read A New World Begins about the French Revolution. Highly recommended. Is there a specific historical moment or era that intrigues you the most? I have not finished the book. I keep telling you guys about it. I've never finished the book on the... Um, I didn't know anything about it. I still don't know much about it. About Bolivar, Simon Bolivar, and uh, taking over basically South America, or big swaths of it, and how he did it, and, and, and what it all meant. I don't know enough about that, but I'm like super fascinated to, to learn more. That, that to me is very interesting. Mod I, I'm, I'm not as interested in old like nation states. I'm much more interested in, in sort of... A, Post-enlightenment um, nation building. This is just a personal preference. Last but not least. Do any fighters in the UFC have diabetes? I don't know. I don't think so. Does it have an effect on their training and competing? That's a great question. I don't have diabetes, so I would not know. I do not know. Boys and girls, thank you so much for joining me today. I know it was a bit of a quiet week, but we still had some fun conversations. Appreciate you joining me. One more time. One more time. A bunch of you have been added to the club. Here we go. YouTube.com slash Luke Thomas slash join. Become a member. There's content i don't put anywhere else not on tiktok not on instagram not on twitter nowhere not even for other uh, for free on the youtube channel just for the members that's it and i have uploaded already four of these and counting with much more to go so please consider joining thanks to everyone who watched thanks to everyone who donated we'll do this again next week love you guys appreciate you and until next time stay frosty boys and girls bye peace